Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Very good, very good. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt Tinsley. I'm on uh, the team here at St. Saviour's, and it's my pleasure to be uh, speaking to you this morning. Isn't it great that uh, basically the sermon has already been preached in one way or another? (laughs) So now my task is to try and do justice to what has already been said and done in the room. Um, But God has already been speaking to us about faith, about listening, about receiving And it's uh, hugely exciting as we begin this new sermon series uh, titled The Kingdom of Jesus. The Kingdom of Jesus. And in this series, each Sunday, leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to be looking at a different parable from the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament of the Bible. You may be wondering, what is a parable? What is a parable? Um, I'm tempted to ask somebody to shout something, but I'm actually not going to do it. Uh, Let me give it a, a go. One definition puts it like this. A parable is a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature or common life, everyday objects, everything we interact with, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt of its precise application to tease into active thought. That's quite a lot there, but let me try and simplify it. A parable is like a familiar but curious story with a hidden meaning that wants to be found, but you have to wrestle with it, really think about it in order to find it and understand it. And even then you keep on coming back to it again and again just to be sure that you really do get it. And while you're doing this, you find that it's changing you, molding you, shaping you without you even realizing. That's what a parable is. But let me try and illustrate it with a modern day uh, parable. Look at this clip. Tell me. Did you find the files? I don't even know what they look What do they look like? They're in the computer. They're in the computer? Yeah, they're definitely in there. I just don't know how he labeled them. I got it. You gotta figure it out. We're running out of time, Hansel. You gotta find them and meet me at the show. Roger. In the computer. It's so simple. There must be an on button somewhere. Press the Apple thing.
not lose our cool. Then we're no better than the machine. Okay, if you haven't seen that film, you're probably wondering what on earth is going on. I do encourage you to check it out. It's a great film, Zoolander. But this is like a modern-day parable to them, to Hansel and Zoolander. The files are in the computer. How? How do we get to the files? And, um, and eventually, later in the film, they begin to understand. They begin to realize what the files are and how to access them. Um, but they are determined. They wrestle with it. And eventually, they do find those files. Are, we, are you with me? Yeah. Um, I hope a bit more than that, but let's carry on. Um, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus shares these parables to teach us his kingdom. He'll say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed in good soil, or a lamp on a stand, an undivided kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet, or a man that is given a talent to invest. These are the five parables we're actually going to be looking at over the coming Sundays. But when Jesus speaks these parables, he's speaking about the coming of his kingdom. What it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like and tastes like, the textures, the sights, the sounds of his kingdom. But it's hard to get our heads around it, right? The kingdom of heaven. We need to take multiple takes of it, multiple perspectives, Look at it from different angles, and that's what each parable does. And that's why we've got these little references of maps on, uh, on these slides, which we're going to have. We're taking different looks at the kingdom of Jesus through different parables. And we need to come back again and again to make sure we really want understand what it is that Jesus is saying to us about his kingdom. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about parables before we jump into today's reading. It's actually a question. Why does... Jesus speak in parables. Why does he speak in parables? Well, he gives the answer a little bit later in uh, today's chapter. And I encourage you, today after the service, go home and read the whole chapter, Matthew 13. Um, it all ties in together. But in um, verse 15, he says this, For the people's hearts have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. They've shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, turn to him. And then he says, and I would heal them if they would turn, but they are hard-hearted. Jesus wants to share his kingdom with us. His motivation is to bring healing and life, but we can be quite hard-hearted and stubborn, can't we? If we're honest, a little bit like Hansel and Zoolander. <laughs> you know, best of motivations, but um, actually we're a little bit distracted. We're, um, we're facing a few obstacles. We're a little bit preoccupied, just like they are with modeling and fashion. Jesus' parable, his parables are a way to break through the hardness of our hearts, our stubbornness, to soften the ground so that we would listen and hear and turn to him and be healed to receive his life. And that in itself is another way of speaking about Jesus' kingdom. Not only do Jesus' parables describe what the kingdom is like, but they mediate 
They mediate the very kingdom to us. The very words of Jesus actively bring about the coming of his kingdom to those who would seek to listen and to understand. The parables aren't moral or ethical stories in and of themselves, but they are a deep catalyst of the kingdom power of Jesus coming nearer and nearer to us as we seek to listen. So as we dig into these parables in this season, focusing on the kingdom of Jesus over the coming weeks, or should I say as they dig into us, wrestle with them. Allow Jesus' word to prod you, to provoke you, to challenge you, to feed you and enrich you, but even to make you feel uncomfortable. Allow that to happen. Allow Jesus' word to work in you today and in this series. That his kingdom would come within us and around us. Jesus says in Matthew 7, so a few chapters earlier from today's reading, he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we're going to do that now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, right now, and in the coming weeks, in this period of Lent towards Easter, Lord, we want to ask that you would reveal your word to us. Lord, we want to search. We're hungry for you. Lord, we're knocking. Would you bring your word to us? And would you soften our hearts? Help us to be humble to hear what it is that you have to say to us. And all God's people said... Amen. Okay, so let's begin with today's parable of the soil. We have a sower who scatters <laughs> seed. Does everyone have a seed? A tiny little seed. Everyone's looking for where they lost, they've lost their seed already. Okay, we have a sower who scatters seed, and it lands in four different places, but only one place produces an incredible harvest while little to basically no life comes where the other seed is sown. And Jesus says at the end of today's uh, parable, in verse 9, let anyone with ears, let anyone who is able to hear, listen. Isn't it interesting that that's already been coming up uh, in today from people's testimonies? Listen, have faith, receive, hear, allow God to move in and to speak. So what is it that Jesus is wanting us to hear and listen to? And this is the key to understanding the parable. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack each element of the story. The soil, the seed, and the harvest. And we're going to begin with soil. Today is the first Sunday of Lent which started on Ash Wednesday. Well done to, you, to those of you who were here at 7.30 in the morning. That's not a judgment on the rest of us. It's just you could make it well done. Um, and Lent is a period of reflection, repentance, and anticipation of the springtime of Easter, the new life that Jesus brings in Easter. And we reflect that we are dust. We remember our mortality, our creatureliness. We do not have power over life, but we are given life and we will all die. We also remember acknowledge our sinfulness and our brokenness. And on Ash Wednesday, we mark each other with the sign of Jesus' cross 
on our forehead and we say, remember that you are dust and you will return to dust. Remember you are dust and you will return to dust. Now these words, by the way, dust equates soil here, just in case you're getting lost, soil, dust. These words come from, um, from, from Genesis 3. Remember that you are dust and, you, and to dust you will return. Uh, and Genesis 3 comes after Genesis 1 and 2. This is the very beginning of the Bible, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation story, the creation narrative, where God creates everything out of his sheer love and generosity. You are here, you are created because of God's love and generosity. But then in chapter 3, again, go home and read it. We keep on coming back to these very fundamental parts of the Bible. The fall, where humanity, represented in Adam and Eve, turn away from God and his blessing of life and fruitfulness. And the result is that creation falls, begins to descend into death. And the intimate relationship that we had with God has been broken And so God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he speaks about the results of this in Genesis 3.19. And he says this, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. So the dust, the soil, represents the absence of life. But also, interestingly, the potential for life. Soil carries elements for life. But it is not, you know, life in itself. If you, I know we could get really technical about this, but, you know, soil on its own isn't going to produce a harvest. It's a mixture of various minerals and nutrients, but it cannot bear life on its own. And this carries rich imagery in scripture. So when Jesus is talking about soil, this is what we should be thinking about. We've, we've looked at the dust from um, creation, but also think about the creation story at the very beginning, where God's spirit is hovering over the earth that has just been formed, but it's currently a void of chaos and darkness, a void of chaos and darkness. And bit by bit, God brings order out of that chaos by speaking his word of life into that verse, that uh, void of, um, of, do- of darkness. He speaks his word of life. Let there be sun. Let there be animals, etc., etc. And so that darkness is not empty, but it is created with rich potential for life. Another image that links to this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the Immaculate Conception, where the Spirit of God hovers over her, overshadows her womb, a vessel for life, and then the seed is implanted, and life comes. And so here in the parable for today, we find the same soil. Soil is dust. It is what has died. It is the contents of what has decayed. Um, it is a death, in a sense, absence of life, but it's also rich with potential. And the soil's purpose is to be receptive. Its whole goal is to receive. 
And the key to this, this passage is to listen. Jesus is asking us to listen to his word that is the seed. Are you with me? So the soil in the parable is like our ears waiting to hear God's word, his seed of life. And the sower scatters his seed abundantly, as we heard from, uh, from Christine, um, even indiscriminately, just sowing seed everywhere. And what is the seed? Well, as we've just learned, it's the word of Jesus, life, that he wants to sow his seed into the world. Jesus wants his listeners to know that his primary task as the sower is to sow his seed of life. And Jesus talks about, in the parable, four different soils or four different ways of listening when his word is proclaimed. Four different ways the seed is scattered into four different places, four different ways of hearing that word. And we're going to look at these now in um, three of the soils. And in each of them, there's a warning. There's a, it, this is not a, a sort of a judgment over us, but it's a warning for us to, the goal of the passage, is to listen. And then the fourth soil is, uh, shows how when we listen, what happens. So here's a little title uh, for each of the soils that um, I've, I've got to help us navigate through. So the first soil, the footpath, is distraction. The second soil with the rocks in, the, in it is obstruction. The third soil that gets choked up by the thorns, preoccupation. And the fourth soil, which receives the seed, is reception. So let's just take a closer look at this. The, feet, uh, the seed that falls on um, the soil uh, that is the footpath. And arguably, this is the hardest place for the seed to take root because the ground is literally so solid. Many theologian, uh, theologians argue that the th- uh, footpath represents soil whose main task is to receive the feet of people, it's a footpath, rather than the seed. And so its orientation to listening is completely wrong. The soil, or the listener, is distracted by the noise of the crowd. The listener is caught up in the winds and trends of the moment, so much so that, he, that he, the, the, the ground becomes, and the listener becomes, a slave to those whims. As the parable indicates, this soil literally becomes a footpath that the crowds walk over. They travel from destination to destination. And the, the word of Jesus becomes secondary to that greater noise of the events, the trends, um, the various ongoings, opinions of day-to-day life. And the warning here is that Jesus is saying if we don't give his word focus and attention, it will be drowned out by the noise of the world. Um, a really simple way to illustrate this is uh, Laura and I, my wife Laura, we're going out for a meal, we're in a restaurant, we're ordering the food, and uh, Laura's talking to me, suddenly starts talking about some important things, and I'm nodding my head like this, but what's actually suddenly happened is my ears have, <laughs> this always happens to me, automatically started listening to the music that's playing. Um, and, and so what Laura is saying is drowned out, and I become precon- uh, uh, distracted by, you know, oh, what is that song? Where is that from? It even happens when music isn't playing. My mind just starts playing songs. And Laura goes, you're just listening to music in your head again, aren't you? That, that's basically what's going on here. And so, you know, in a simple way, I want to put to us, what is the noise in your life that is distracting 
you from hearing God's word at the moment. Secondly, the rocky soil. Verse 5, Jesus says this, Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth or root of soil. This is about obstruction. This is where the seed falls into the soil and it begins to grow. There is a a burst of life, but it eventually withers because the root hits the rock and there's nowhere else for it to go. And it withers and dies. And Jesus says in verse 21, later in this chapter, Jesus unpacks this parable. He says, these rocks are like the troubles or persecutions that come about because of the seed trying to take root. What are these rocks What are these obstructions in our lives? I want to suggest in some ways that they are like coping mechanisms that then become unhealthy patterns of dependence and habit that ultimately, where they were supporting life, start restricting life. They're literally blocking the way. And as the seed grows, it demands more priority, more space, Jesus' word does demand space in our lives. It does demand priority, which means something has to give. And this is the trouble. A kind of dissonance begins to happen. And we all experience this because we all have rocks in our lives. There's a conflict between the word of God and these obstructions within ourselves. We want the seed to bear fruit and life, but we become too reliant on these other things, so much so that it's actually really difficult to let go. And what does this look like? I want to suggest one thing it can look like is um, fear, really loud fear in our lives. Fear, Fear of failure, fear of shame, We're so scared of getting something wrong or being exposed and being shamed that we're unable to give space for this route to take. Another, um, just I'm trying to illustrate these points, but another little example from my life is... um, before, uh, before, sorry to illustrate Laura again or to use Laura in my illustrations, but I'm really just, I want to articulate this. So um, before I met Laura, I was in another relationship and uh, it was very you know, serious. We were thinking about getting married, but then it all fell apart and it was really painful and hurtful. I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, but when I met Laura, I suddenly became really cautious about moving our relationship forward. And natural, but actually I was in deep fear of it all going wrong, and therefore I was restricting the potential, the life of our relationship to move forward. Now that's a a small, slightly different example of what I'm trying to say here, but I hope it points to the point, uh, which is the warning here, is that Jesus is saying if we don't give space for his word to take root by acknowledging and recognizing these obstructions and allowing Jesus by his grace to deal with them, to heal them, then his word will fail and we will just keep on going through the same things. Again, moment. What are the rocks 
What are the obstructions that you might perceive in your own life? In the beautiful confession we did earlier, the words, we were almost too scared to, to, to speak them on our lips. But God knows. And Lord, we give them to you. Would you come and minister to us? Just what are those rocks in your life? Just take a moment. Okay, thirdly, verse 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And this is about preoccupation. Jesus explains again in verse 23 when he says, This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. Here the warning is the danger uh, with the preoccupation of the concerns of the world and life. Uh, there's a theologian I've been reading called Bruno who gives the example of um, social and political concern over and above Jesus and his word to us. Where Christianity becomes about doing good things and helping people, which of course is right and, and legitimate and necessary, but it becomes about helping these people rather than Jesus at the center. This results in a pseudo kind of Christianity where Jesus isn't actually present. And the result isn't, um, is, is kind of like a Unitarianism where Jesus as, as Lord and God is rejected, deprioritized um, for the preoccupation of trying to do these good works. Here at St. Saviour's, we don't want to be a people who simply do good community things. That's not what we're here to be or to do as Christians. Our first call, our first uh, priority is to be occupied with following Jesus, to lay everything down in surrender to him and his word. And everything else is secondary. It's not that it's not important, but if we don't place Jesus at the center, those thorns are going to come up and they're going to choke the life. The warning is that we don't become consumed by the issues of the world because that will just lead to burnout and cynicism. And we lose the word of love that has been spoken over us and our response in love back to Jesus. Let's just take another moment here. Are we trying to fix the world in our own strength, do the right thing, but forsaking our own relationship with Jesus? Finally, the fourth soil. Verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil. hope you can see that. I don't want to spill it. <laughs> fell on good soil. And brought forth a harvest, hundredfold, sixty, even thirty, which is still incredibly generous, which is still a fantastic yield. And Jesus later describes in verse 23, as the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundred, thirty, or sixty. The soil is reception. The soil is receptive to the word of Jesus. 
If you want to summarize um, this talk, basically, it's about this. Reception. Receive. There's nothing complicated here. Everything is focused on the essential simplicity of this little seed entering the soil. The listener hearing Jesus' word and understanding. No distraction, no obstruction, no preoccupation. There is focus, space, and priority given to Jesus and his word. Nothing else matters. That's what the parable says. Nothing else matters. There are no complex details for techniques to enhance your spiritual life or to develop your spiritual life. It's just the seed and the soil. Listening, understanding, brings Jesus and the nearness of his kingdom to us. Verse uh, 23, Jesus says this. Uh, sorry, actually, verse 23 draws the connection between understanding and faith. In Matthew's gospel, when uh, Matthew says understanding, he's talking about a faith, a standing under to receive the faith that we need. And the harvest of Jesus' kingdom comes from that simple faith. Soil is primarily passive. Its task is to be receptive. And so as followers of Jesus, first of all, our task is to be receivers of his word, to host his word, and everything flows from that. Love this little line. Faithful, listening, uh, faithful listeners become faithful servants of God. And the result is a ridiculously abundant and generous harvest. The Greek word for bearing fruit here, I'm not, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but edidao, maybe that's it, edidao, is an imperfect verb that stresses that this is an ongoing, continuing, normal action. The implication being that the soil regularly receives the seed and it regularly gets fruit out. But the parable leaves us with one final question. If it's so simple... Then why is there so much resistance to it? Within ourselves, as much as um, in the person next to us. So just take hold of uh, the seed I gave you earlier. Just take hold of it a minute. Have it in your hands, in your fingers. The parable seems to answer this question. The kingdom of Jesus in our midst is Weakness, it's so small, it's a little seed. And this is the simple word of Jesus. It's not powerful, apparently powerful. There's no real spectacle or sparkle to it. There's no jolt of lightning for an instant fix. And therefore, of course, it's so easy to just reflect it, reject it, throw it away. Why would I bother with that? But this is where the parable invites us to trust, to have faith in the seminal power of the seed of Jesus' word. And in Easter, we remember that Jesus, and this is what Hannah 
wherever she's gone now, shared earlier in her uh, testimony, the word of God, Jesus came down to earth, to the dust, to the soil, to the very depths of decay and death like a seed. And he lay his life down for us. That whoever believes, whoever trusts, who has faith to simply receive him, would be raised to new life, and the kingdom of Jesus would be near, and there would be a harvest of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. So what's the action? In Lent, this period, we remember that we are dust, but we're invited to make space in our lives, to clear away the things that distract, obstruct, and preoccupy us, even the good things. We clear them away to make space again to receive Jesus and his seed, for it to take root in our lives. That just as in Easter we see resurrection life, that would happen in us. So let's stand. And band, why don't you come up?